Greetings and welcome to a Brave Space podcast with Dr. Meeks. I'm your host, Chelsea Glasgow, and of course, we are here with the phenomenal Dr. Meeks. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Excellent, excellent. And I'm really excited about today's topic. It was inspired by last month's conversation with Bishop Rob Wright, and he really took a moment um, to honor the women in his life. Right after the podcast, uh, me and Dr. Meeks had a conversation. Do you remember that conversation, Dr. Meeks? I certainly do. Yeah. (laughs) Please tell the people, you know, just a, a, a bird's eye view of what that conversation was like. Well, Bishop Wright had so many affirming and beautiful things to say about African-American women. And as I was listening to him, I was so encouraged and so inspired. And I realized um, later on how few times in the last 25 years I've heard a black man talk like that about a black about black women and what an amazing breath of fresh air it was. And I remember you and I talking about that and, and you're lots younger than me, but you had the, a similar response as I recall. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's, the thing that really um, took me aback was why were we so surprised or not surprised, but why does it take that long? Why is it so far and few between that we find um, men who can honor and respect and show love and support uh, to women? And that is the problem that we are going to talk about today. And then of course, offer up some solutions. Um, But we have to be courageous to be able to talk about the degradation of women, um, and and the lack of honor. And what has that done to their self-esteem and or how they're perceived and treated in media? Dr. Meeks, what do you think about that? Um, what has that impact been like? You know, I, I think about it in terms of my own life. I'm 76 years old. I'm, I pretty well got my head on straight. I pretty much know where I'm going and what I'm planning to do. But I, I realized that the lack of affirmation de-energizes you and you don't actually know how you've been de-energized until you hear it until you hear somebody make the affirmation you know how you you there's some things that are absent and you don't know it till you get it and that's kind of I've, I've been realizing that here for the last few days that that I did not know how big of a deficit had been created for me by just kind of tooling along without hearing these affirmations. I get in the work that I do, I get affirmations from all kinds of people every day, but I don't get them from black men. Most of the time it's white men, white women, or people of other races. And I've, I've really been interrogating myself around that and thinking those affirmations, while I appreciate them, and I'm always grateful for people to appreciate my work, I do need to hear this from black men because these are my brothers in a way that a white man's not my brother and they, and they need to be, I need to hear them being affirming and seeing me as a worthy person. And that is a good thing. It doesn't mean I, I'm I'm not going to lie down on the road and, and blow away if I don't get it. It just means that my life will be much more energized if I do get it. Absolutely. I mean, after all, um, when we don't hear these affirmations, we still do go on, right? And become very successful. And like you said, have our heads on straight and 
And um, it, it's a shame that we run so hard, not recognizing how much energy, like you said, the affirmations can give us to run a little bit further. Mm -hmm. um, I think it just shows how um, that support and community. And specifically, you know, yeah, go oh, ahead. Excuse me. Well, you know, you, when you think about this historically, I understand the historical and the, and there's some historical memory probably tied in with why those affirmations don't come in the 21st century. Historically, black men were not free to support and protect and take care of black women. They have been taught that that's what men are supposed to do because that's the narrative for, for men, you know, and then. The, but they couldn't do it because of slavery and because of segregation and because of all of the different kinds of oppressive structures that were put in place to keep them in their place. And that that oppressiveness made them often have to, I mean, we ended up having to look out for them sometimes too much rather than the other way around. And, but, but the historical memory, the racial memory of whatever way that memory has been transferred is what we've got to speak about in the 21st century, because those days are gone. You know, you can now stand up and be free. Nobody's going to lynch you for t standing up for uh, uh, African-American women if you're an African-American man. There's a lot of denigrative things being said and done that can be you, that, that are not necessary and don't, and cannot be justified as, well, this is just the way it is. You know, it's not just the way it is. And, and this lack of being able to do that as a result of the historical wounding has got to be interrogated and brought to the light and have some healing light come to it. Absolutely. You know, I think um, you're absolutely right as far as how this has came out and unraveled over time. Now, there's a wrong way or a right way that it could have been done. You know, um, the right way is that we've been freed. We work together and collaborate, right, encouraging one another. But it kind of turned out that after freedom came competition, you know, crabs in a bucket. And so um, especially to honor another woman as a man. Right. To, to say you you did a good job. Actually, you're doing quite better than me. Actually, how did you get there? I don't know if that humility is there or is present. What do you think about that? Well, you know, that's a very, very, very interesting thing to think about. I think it's competition. I think it's um, lack of self-esteem. A lot of a lot of the time, you know, we've got all these crazy hierarchies set up. So the, you're supposed to make more money because you're the man and then the woman. But oftentimes you didn't you, you didn't get this, a job that was equivalent. And so this is how it is. I, I don't think that we have done a good enough job of creating a notion of collaborative partnership. So that, you know, if I'm married to somebody and I make more money than he does and we're married and we care about each other, let's not get caught up on that. Let's just try to figure out, well, what's the advantage of having this extra, extra money right? You know, or more money? I mean, it would not. I, I just I just think that that we have we we need to raise our sights here a, 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 a few notches higher than it's been. And we need to, we need to have a lot of conversations within the black community about this issue rather than just having it become a, a, a sore spot that just keeps on, um, you know, tripping us up because it is tripping us up. Look at the, the troubles we've got. And a lot of those troubles come from this, 
competition and inability to be affirming and inability to see each other as equals and res- and be really respectful. We have translated the master narrative into our relationships with one another, and the result is this negative, denigrating, uh, demeaning way that we think about each other. I mean, we don't, and women think about men in bad ways too. And then it just keeps on being reinforced, and you're on this cycle. You can't seem to get off of it, and it's and it's hurting us deeply. Yeah, and I think you know one way we can break the cycle is by speaking up and being courageous to say, "Good job." You know, to, to say you're doing good. How may I support you? You know, I was raised by um, black women and they've, they've done this for me. This is the impact that you've had on my life. Just being honest about what people have contributed to your life really does um, help to just elevate you, you know, mentally, um, you know, just spiritually all and all of the above. Uh, you spoke a little bit about, you know, partnership being in community um, and fighting for one another. Now, of course, I'm going to have to bring this up because the Oscars, uh, during the Oscars, that was just, you know, displayed on the worldwide television, okay? Um, we witnessed Will Smith stand up and slap Chris Rock after a joke um, that referred to Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett, um, Smith, uh, about her hair. And, you know, there has been a lot of commentary about that, right? Um, some people say Will Smith was, you know, being violent and out of line. Other people say that he was protecting his family um, and that, you know, he was honoring his wife. And this was a moment of, of although we don't condone violence, but some people believe that this was a moment that perhaps could slide. Um, what are your thoughts on this as we begin to talk about protecting and honoring um, Black women? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've had a few of those conversations myself. And I had, this, as a matter of fact, earlier today, I was asking my younger son about his his take on it. I'm I'm a bit conflicted because I'm a pacifist and I think violence is bad and is not an answer to anything. Yet, on the other hand, I feel I'm glad a Black man stood up for a Black woman. You know, I wish he could have stood up a little differently. I think if he had been able to think about it for a minute, perhaps he could have found a better way to deal with that issue. But I tell you what I'm really tired of, Chelsea. It's Will Smith's violent because he slapped Chris Rock. I haven't heard anybody say Chris Rock was violent because he was maligning Jada Pinkett. Wow. Drop the mic right there. You know, I haven't heard that conversation. And I, because nobody thinks of that as violence. And there's there's psychological, spiritual violence that is just as bad as hitting somebody. And I want I want to talk about both sides of the coin and talk about the complex the complexities. We always want to just oversimplify everything and get to the well, you know, the rest, black folks are gonna be looked up on as being violent and he hit him and now white folks gonna think badly about us. I don't really care about that. What I care about is let's have a real conversation. Let's talk about both sides of this coin. Just because you're trying to be funny, do you get the right? Do you have the right to then malign somebody to practice? That's to to talk to be ableist. You know, Jada uh, has a, a, a alopecia. Alopecia, I think. I I don't know if if Chris Rock knows that, but he should have found it out, and he should have kept his mouth shut. As far as I can 
the, the way I feel about it. So, and I want to talk about stop, stop justifying denigration and um, maligning and marginalizing on the grounds of, well, he's a comedian. Somebody said to me, well, he's a comedian. Really? When does a comedian get to just do that? Right. You because know? if we start to use those excuses, then we can say, oh, he's a police. That's right. And let me let me tell you a really worse example that just occurred to me when I was uh, thinking about this earlier. I listened to the, the, the Ku Klux Klan or Grand Dragon or whatever he was, David Duke, talk about that those... Um, those things they put out about killing niggers and all that, that that was satire and humor. Well, we didn't think that was too funny. It wasn't funny a bit, but it was satire for them. He said, well, that's satire, you know, when when he's challenged about using that kind of, putting out that kind of propaganda. We have to be careful. You can't just pick and choose morality. You've got to find a place to stand. I don't think anybody should be maligned. And if you can't make be funny without maligning people, then you're not funny. Mm-hmm. You need to get a new they profession. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get a new profession because there are a lot of things you can make jokes about and a lot of ways you can make jokes. And so, you know, I, I just think we, I think here in the 21st century, when we've got all these opportunities to create new narratives and get on board with a new way of thinking and being that we need to start interrogating some of the stuff that we just let go by. So I want to talk about violence from both sides of this coin, you know, it, it, and violence does not cure violence. Let me be clear about that. I wish that uh, Will Smith had not hit Chris Rock, but I am glad that Will Smith stood up for Jada and and Chris Rock had no business saying what he said. And he said that himself, I think, later. He, he, he talked about it. You know, he had no business saying that, you know. And, and, so I, and so I think that people need to try to think a little bit instead of just always kind of having what appears to be just kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Well, he shouldn't have done it. And, you know, well, maybe he shouldn't have, but, I, but he needed to. I'm glad he stood up for her. I really am. Yeah, you know, um, I'm glad that you said that word reaction, right? Because there's a difference uh, between a reaction and a response. But for far so long, um, these quote unquote nonviolent, you know, but violent, but very violent acts of speech, right, or just mistreatment um, have been going on without being reacted or responded to. So when someone responds to it or reacts to it, we are just taken aback because we can't believe that someone has spoken up for themselves, let alone spoken up for their wife, let alone their wife be an African-American woman. You know, we can't believe the lengths that uh, someone will, or in this case, Will Smith went to uh respond to that type of disrespect. And although we, you know, I have heard as well, a lot of people try to pick apart uh, his way of responding. But at the end of the day, I think it does call us to action, just like you said, that there needs to be a response or an address to anything that uh, degrades women and and how we translate that and change that is by um, changing that narrative, speaking positively and encouraging our sisters. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I Like I said in the beginning of this podcast, I'm, I'm a, 
I'm certainly a nonviolent person and people who know me know that I'm a serious pacifist. And so I really don't believe that violence fixes anything. And I wish that, you know, if, if Will Smith had been able to sit there and be really contemplative and process all of this and get up and decide what he wanted to do, perhaps he could have walked up on the stage and taken the microphone from Chris Rock and told him off and sat down. That would have been good. That would have been good enough, really. But in, sometimes you just don't have all that going for you. You know, and and then you so then when you when you get you're so worried that that it's not going to come off right till you do nothing and you sit there and let it go and just try to suck it up. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to just suck it up. And black people are expected to suck it up all the time. Remember when the Charleston massacre happened and 15 minutes later, everybody's talking about, well, those people were so forgiving, you know. You you just killed my husband. I didn't forgive you today. Don't don't delude yourself. You know uh, you're not forgiven today. And we might have gone on on television and stood up in a press conference and talked about forgiveness. But I guarantee you, Dylan Roof probably hasn't been forgiven yet, because you just you know we get, we we have this we have this the white expectation the white response to us is always a positive if we're taking battering in silence. You know, if we're taking denigration and rising above it, the, the, the stories that people love to hear better than anything else is our overcoming stories. And, you know, at this point in my life, I'm just a little tired of that. I just think it's time to say, I have overcome, but you need to hear how I got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, because when, when we tell that story, that is the truth. That's the brave space that we need to create to hold people accountable because it doesn't matter if I forgave you or not, what needs to be worked on forgiveness is for us. Right. So what needs to be worked on is how did we get here? Like, what is your role in the matter? How did you play in it? And when we just celebrate, Oh, we're all happy now. <laughs> oh kumbaya when we do that we you're I, I love what you said we dismiss that we dismiss that pain and that pain is there every night these folks you know daughters or sons or husbands is aren't there anymore every that's night right that's right and i, I want to say while we're talking about this that I've, I've had two instances in the last little while where in addition to Bishop Rob's uh, beautiful comments about African-American women, I, I was in a meeting with a, one of our rectors from one of our large parishes, and he spent 10 minutes talking about me and, and saying, you know, why he supports this work and talking about me as a healer. It was so beautiful. I cried, you know, and, and I, and I was so grateful for that. And then that was on Tuesday of, uh, um, Tuesday evening, and then that following Wednesday evening, it was during the uh, Supreme Court hearings, I got the chance to hear dear brother Senator Cory Booker talk about uh, Judge Jackson, and oh, she yeah. cried. Oh, she yeah. cried listening to him. And I thought to myself, see, I know that this is right. All, all of us are, as black women are suffering from not having affirmation from our, our brothers and, and, and husbands and, and, and children and whatever. We are suffering from it. Because there is such a hunger for this affirmation, I think. But because 
Why are we crying about somebody telling us we're doing well? Because we don't hear it hardly ever. From them, right. Right. And that matters. You know, now that you're saying that, I remember telling my grandfather I was going for a job opportunity and and I was just speaking and I was saying, yeah, you know, and if I get it and he stopped me, I was speaking to my grandparents, actually. And my grandfather stopped me and he said, not if you get it, when you get it now. And now, now when my, you know, my grandmother kept talking and, you know, every, you know, it's a conversation. Um, and, but when my grandfather said that, that was the one thing that I remembered, not if you get it, when you get it. And it was so powerful to me because what he said coming from his mouth, being my grandfather, being a black man who's seen me, who understands me, who's seen my struggle, who sees my potential, when that person affirms you, that that is the energy and you know i'm so happy that you're addressing because so often we don't recognize that that's our missing link we've been so used to doing it by ourselves and we've been doing a daggone good job if i may say so myself but that extra i don't even think it's extra i think it's what we were supposed to have all along Yes. And when you have somebody like Daniel Moynihan back in the 60s, you know, with his if he'd been a sociologist worth a tablespoon of salt, he would have known that his analysis was incorrect when he talked about the black family as a matriarchal family, just because women there were so many women um, headed households. Matriarchal families are families where the the descendant, you know, line is through the women. And that's not what we are. We we are very much patriarchal, but we just have a lot of households where they're that that are headed by women by necessity. I mean, we didn't just wake up in the mornings and say, "Oh, I think I'll just run my husband off or run off the the men around that could help me out so I can do this by myself." No, we did not. Circumstances and many of them are grounded in racism created the situation that caused us to have to step up to the plate. And then to say, well, what's wrong with the black family, which is what Moynihan said in the 60s, is the demasculation of the men because of the women. And we 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 passed that garbage around for about 25 or 30 years. And it was just flat out garbage and, and an incorrect analysis in the first place. You know, and, and we believed it and we internalized it and, and we used it as a backdrop for scholarship. We should have been ashamed of ourselves. Yeah. Wow. Well, Dr. Meeks, uh, thank you for saying that. I I just have a question as we close out. You know, we talked about um, the importance of that support and that affirmation specifically from um, black men to black women. Um, But also, you know, what are ways that our black men can support um, and honor and affirm black women? How how does any advice on that? How can we move forward? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first place where that begins is with working on yourself and feeling good about yourself. Because if you don't feel really good about yourself, it's difficult to feel good about somebody else, right? So I think one of the most important things that men can do is to get clear about themselves and get clear about what matters to them and be and get clear about what narratives are you trying to live out? You know, and are you speaking out of your heart or are you trying to be somebody else? And I think I think that's where the work begins, you know, that you begin with your self-interrogation and really paying attention to how you how you treat yourself, because how you treat yourself is how you treat other people. 
And and I want them to start with that. I want them to be, I want them to love themselves if they're going to try to love us because you don't love other people unless you love yourself. Dr. Meeks, just drop the mic again, because, you know, I was not expecting that answer, but it is absolutely a thousand percent. The first thing that we need to do to love someone else, properly love ourselves. That's so true. Um, I think when we do that, we'll be able to see um, not only, uh, you know, more successful women, right, more supportive women, but I also think we will see a lot more marriages. I think Um, that's right, Chelsea. And I think that when you do have that self-love, nobody has to tell you how to be kind to somebody because it comes naturally. Nobody has to tell you how to be affirming because it comes naturally. But but it it can't come if it can't come out of a vacuum. Absolutely. Well, that is, that's our homework. Okay. So listen, um, for all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you are wondering what to do next, uh, you know, go within yourself, um, find the things that you love about yourself. Um, you know, spend time with yourself, healing, uh, get a counselor, do those things. Why? So that you can be healed, fully love yourself. And as Dr. Meeks said, once you're able to do that and brave enough to love yourself, you will be brave enough to love someone else. And that is um, the healing bomb that we all need, that love and support. And so thank you so much for tuning in. Dr. Meeks, thank you so much for that insight. As always, you have just made me 10 years wiser. Okay, so I appreciate it. Um, And listen, if our viewers... If our listeners online um, would like to tune in to our other episodes, make sure um, you connect with us on Buzzsprout um, or any other or Apple um, podcast or Spotify. We are on there. Or you can visit our website at centerforracialhealing.org to connect with us online. Um, we have all of our resources in one space there. And of course, connect with us on social media, Center for Racial Healing, both on Instagram and Facebook. We thank you so much for joining us and tuning in. We hope that you have learned something that will change your life and impact others uh, today and tomorrow. Until next time, remember to always tell the truth and be brave space.